1: 15 and 60 edition Western Conference. Our second look through the West as we are nearing almost a month into the NBA season. It, crazily enough, it, it always goes by so fast in this first month or so. Go in reverse alphabetical order today. Make sure that those teams at the back of the alphabet get their just due and we're going to start with Liam here on uh, the Jazz. Liam, I did not know that the Jazz were your favorite team. That was uh, quite the reveal today.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I know it's it's pretty shocking to everybody. When I'm from New York, everybody asks why the Jazz, but uh, I just really like those... Uh, 2006, 2007 teams with uh, Darren Williams, Andre Karolinko, So I don't know. It's it's a weird team to like. I agree, but uh, they're my squad. So yeah, I mean that team with the
1: Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer. I mean just dripping with charisma. I completely understand. <laughs> well, why. Also,
2: also funny because those two guys ended up playing in New York eventually.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh, not not quite as uh, not quite the players they were before, but uh, yeah, they had some other guys too. I mean Paul Millsap uh, in his younger days, Kyle Korver. Uh, they, they, I don't know. They were fun for me. So. I don't know. I don't. I don't really care. You know, if everybody else yeah. doesn't like them, but uh, yeah, the, those
1: those were underrated teams. They were pretty good statistically. Uh, and that 0-7 team made it to the West Finals, although kind of lucked out because Dallas lost in the first round that year. Uh, and then I mean that really is one of the last series. Like you remember the Golden State that year went super small and really killed the Mavericks and then the Jazz just bludgeoned them by just being bigger and stronger and killing the offensive glass and killing them in the post and there are not many series since then that you can look to where that's the reason why a team won but uh that was certainly one of the, maybe maybe the Lakers against the Celtics in 2010 is another one that comes to mind but anyway uh, let's get to the 2017-18 version of the Jazz. What have you been seeing for them of lately?
0: Well, not not so not as good as they were uh, back in the day. But uh, they're six and seven right now, three and four since the last time we did the 15 and 60 uh, net rating of one, negative 1. 1.8, which is 20th in the league. And then obviously the big news that just came out today: Rudy Gobert out four to six weeks with a bone bruise. That uh, happened in the against the Heat. Uh, Dion De- Waiters dove for a loose ball and went into his knee. And it's actually surprisingly, he came back in the sec- like later in the game and actually played. So I assume they tested it out. You know everything was fine structurally, but uh, uh, the next day they found the bone bruise, I guess. in four to six weeks, so they're gonna have to. It, it could be you know a boon for their offense the way it's, the way they've been playing lately with their starting lineup. They've been playing a lot of Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors lineups. So that's 237 minutes with those two on the floor, and that's you know their starting big man combo with a 93.5 offensive rating and 100 defensive rating. So they're not really winning the offensive defensive trade off that you'd th- you'd think you were doing with uh, the two big lineup. And and Rudy is-
1: yeah, and that lineup has always been very successful, and I've defended that lineup for a while. Although you know that was with the Derek favors of two years ago, maybe not today. Although at least he's he's been able to be healthy, and then also you know they just don't have. Uh, Gordon Hayward on this team either you know who I think helped make up for the fact that they're playing with those two traditional big lineups
0: yeah and like you said favors he's kind of a different player than he used to be he's he's not quite the athlete that I think he was uh, you know a couple of years ago with the injury and just you know natural aging uh, his, he's got a career low in block percentage offensive rebound and defensive rebounding percentage free throw rate so all, all the kind of athletic indicators that you would think you know indicate you know a bouncy big and that's not to say that you know obviously he's, he's altered his game he's become much more skilled but but, uh, you know, they're not quite getting the same defensive, you know, activity that they got from him in the past. And some of the offensive, you know, plays around the rim, he's shooting less shots around the rim. So he, he did have a, a nice game against Brooklyn, though, um, where he had a lot of chemistry in the pick and roll with Rudy Gobert. Rudy uh, Rubio likes to throw those, uh, with Ricky Rubio, sorry. He likes to throw those bounce passes uh, lower for his big man, you know, that he used to do with uh, Nikola Pekovic, Kevin Love, you know, Carl Towns. So that's actually a better fit than the way, what they were doing with Rudy Gobert, who they were throwing a a lot of lobs to and turning, it turning it over a lot so favors was taking a lot of mid-range jumpers. so it's going to be interesting to see how he operates as the main roller in a lot of those actions where gobert was getting a lot of those but i want, I wanted to get your take on what you think favors value is you know in the modern nba you know with his injury history at his current age because he's a free agent coming up and if the season goes south for the jazz they could look to trade him possibly so uh, i just wanted to get your thought on you know what what his value is around the league you know if he's a four or five i think most people think he's a five but just to see what you think
1: yeah it's interesting. It- Again, it's a question of really how he's going to look during this period. He was a valuable player. I think he's a valuable offensive player. His mid-range jumper at least has to be respected. He can move around. He's got good hands, finishes well around the rim. Defensively, he's always really failed as a rim protector. And But in today's league... Having a switchable guy at the five is more useful. So, you know, you'll remember a couple of years ago, he was talked about potentially of, as going to the Cavaliers, a, a team like that, a team like Boston, maybe could really use him, although Boston doesn't quite have the salary fodder as easily. But only making 11 million, you know, you really have to cobble together only about seven, eight million or so to bring him over if you want to. And then it's just a question of what his value is because you do have to imagine if things don't really work out with Gobert and Trent's there long term they're probably going to want to put a stretchier player around him and I, I do agree he could be a trade candidate for sure
0: yeah and just to touch on what you said favors struggling at the five at the jazz had a 107 defensive rating last year when they played favors primarily at the backup five so in those lineups without gobert last year so that that's the question i think i think they'll be a little bit better offensively playing you know lineups with tablo sefalosha Jonas karebko joe johnson when he comes back healthy at the four but uh the, the question is if they're winning that offensive defensive trade-off with uh gobert out
1: yeah well and i think gobert can be as effective if not more than favors when he's the lone big man it's just a question of them potentially playing together and then even they've even played Udo and favors together some as well i do think that favors will be helped if they're playing Cephalosha at the four next to him, when it's he and Joe Johnson, I think that's a unit that could struggle defensively, especially depending on who else is out there on the perimeter. But Joe at the four, it's really tough to, to get the kind of defense that you need there from him at, at the rim, even though that's still probably his best position. Uh, so anything else that you want to talk about with these guys? How are their perimeter guys looking?
0: Uh, well, they're really struggling. In the in the game against Miami, they made four shots in the second half, which I thought had to have been, like, a typo or something or somebody misread a stat yeah the, the entire team beat yeah it, it was incredible uh it, it was pretty frustrating actually but uh yeah so i mean they're not getting a lot of shots at the rim rodney hood has been solid he's kind of been the player he's been the last couple of years so i think people expected him to take a jump but he hasn't really done that he's he's not taking nearly as many shots at the rim and he that his shots at the rim really took a dive after he had that injury last year uh lower body i think it was the knee although i'm blanking right now on what it was exactly but uh his shot
1: yeah yeah, it, like he had like multiple multiple sprained knees uh, that really sidetracked him last right
0: year. and I, he, you can just tell like watching him he's totally lost confidence around the rim i think he had a couple where he, he got like either a back screen or it was a back cut and he was under the hoop all by himself and he pumped fake because he thought he's going to get blocked from behind and then dribbled it out for a missed long two and Ru- rubio's got a similar problem he's not willing to take any shots in the paint at all and he's terrible when he does do it so that's they've been they've actually been playing mitchell a lot more they inserted mitchell into the starting lineup over rodney hood to try and get a more willing shooter out there, try and get some penetration. And they closed with Mitchell over Rubio against the Nets and against the Heat as well. So, I mean, Mitchell, the one thing about Mitchell, I mean, his percentage is going to be awful, but he's just such a willing shooter, uh, for for better or for worse. (laughs) Uh, So he's got almost a 30% usage rate. But you can see him getting better just, you know, with each passing game. The first couple games, he was just looking to, like, barrel into the paint, and he thought he could just finish over people like it was college. But now the last couple games, you see him kind of, you know, changing speeds with hesitation which is huge for him because he's obviously got that burst and if he can learn how to you know stop and start and get guys off balance it's going to be you know huge for his growth and he's been off footing layups uh some euro step finishes so I, I think there's a lot to be excited about him you know even if he's going to be missing a, sh- a lot of shots which he's gonna he's gonna, he can have all the shots he wants with the with the team that Utah has put together so it's gonna be interesting to see you know his growth throughout the season if, if he really ups his efficiency as they go
1: yeah it's interesting we'll talk about it as we go through of what uh the playoff picture looks looks like here and for Mitchell that's always been the question for me right like if you just watch him he sure as hell passes the eye test he looks great he's really athletic he gets into guys defensively his jump shot is beautiful just straight up and down every time it really looks good they've been having him run a lot of of pick and roll I'm not sure that he's there yet as a passer either and I'm sure he's taking some tough shots despite the fact that as you said they need him to take those so are those percentages at some point going to come up in his career i think at this point it's certainly encouraging that he's able to create that many shots but i mean it, it, at the, he's also just you know with the amount he's shooting and the percentage i mean he's what like you know thirty eight percent from the field and 31 from three and and you know not getting the foul line it's on either so it, it's really it, the reality is that he's a damaging offensive player at this time with all these shots that he's taking even if he has no choice and so while he passes the IT, at some point he's going to have to become more efficient I'm not saying he has to do that yet but I'm still just a little bit lower on him than some people I think he's going to be a nice player but to believe that he's going to be a future star we'll see you know whether either one of two things is going to happen either the usage will come down or the efficiency is going to go up at some point in his career
0: right and I'd, I'd expect the usage to stay there the rest of the season uh just I mean Rubio doesn't want to Rubio the first like eight games was taken I don't know 15 16 shots a game and that's just not a winning formula for the jazz it's not you know who he is as a player it's not what he wants to do so and, and the jazz coaching staff I think they understand that Mitchell's more you know this season's more for the long term they don't expect to be competing you know you know winning a playoff series this year so I think the, the, they might sacrifice you know a win or two or you know however many to you know get some more growth and development for Mitchell this season by giving him as many opportunities as he can handle um and just one more thing before we uh switch sections uh for people that haven't been watching the jazz FK Udo is you know one of the most I don't know fun defensive players to watch for just the defensive plays he makes just coming out of nowhere. I know, you know, he's a f- favorite by plus minus and a lot of that stuff, but just the plays he makes with guys, you know, clearly don't expect him to be able to contest a shot or make a block and his anticipation coming over. And sometimes they'll give up an offensive rebound, you know, going for a block that maybe he shouldn't, but it's just, it's fun to watch a guy that goes for everything and usually gets a lot of it. So, uh, you know, even if, if the Jazz aren't a great offensive team to watch, at least they bring, you know, some exciting factors on defense.
1: Yeah. Udo, you know, after that stint in. been a- Where he looked much better defensively, and he was last in the NBA with the Clippers a couple of years ago, and struggled with some injuries. There are even whispers that he kind of really wasn't working that hard and kind of didn't really want to be there. And so uh, now, uh, for whatever reason, he appears to be doing much better physically. I mean, and it's always it's tough to tell too. I mean, I think a lot of times the coaching staff will kind of think like, "Oh yeah, you know, this guy like you know he just looks slow, he's not trying," and you know, it can actually be injury injury related. Uh, And so so now he uh, appears to be healthy. Uh, Danny, anything you wanted to say on the Jazz before we move on here?
2: I just want to snark that it's not like Doc Rivers has ever had that problem in terms of identification of a player being injured versus bad before. Uh, The the Jazz (laughs) should just keep signing
0: players that the Clippers cut, like Joe Ingles, FK Udo, just anybody the Clippers cut, the Jazz should just go for. (laughs) I support
2: it. (laughs) Except for Bryce Johnson. (laughs)
0: so before we
1: move on to the rest of the western conference this from our friends at indochino who make it easy to get a suit made to your exact measurements at a great price One thing I love about Indochino, you hear me talk all the time about how awesome their fit is, that's true, but their customization is really remarkable. They've got hundreds of top quality fabrics. You can customize all the details. You can get a vest if you wanted to. You can customize the size of your lapel, the jacket lining, you can get a monogram. They do great shirts as well with monograms. And all of that convenience has made Indochino the largest made-to-measure menswear company. And of course, all their advertising on Dunktown as well. But really, if you look at their price, just $329 during their massive Black Friday sale when entering that familiar cap space code at checkout at Indochino.com or at any Indochino showroom. Actually, I got a tweet from a listener asking me, hey, does the code work if we go into the showroom? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It does. And they confirmed that it does, in fact, work there as well. They have, I think, eight North American showrooms in some major cities, including one in San Francisco that I've been to. But this Black Friday blood is just ridiculous. $329 when you enter that cap space code at checkout. Shipping is free, of course, for this incredible suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. Once again, Indochino.com, promo code cap space. Let them know that you came from us and get any made-to-measure suit for just $329. This is the lowest price I've ever seen from them. This Black Friday sale is pretty solid. Promo code cap space at Indochino.com. The San Antonio Spurs now sit at eight and five. They had got down to 500 at one point and now have won three straight, four and three in the last two weeks. They have a 3.6 net rating, ranking eighth in the league. Somehow 12th in the NBA in offense, helped in large part by a complete destruction of the Bulls on Saturday night and their defense also only 12th in the NBA as well
2: I think of them as as a triumph of coaching I mean you look at their personnel with without Tony Parker and they've had a lot of other injuries too you know Parker Kawhi and just various guys being out for periods of time and they've been you know Kyle Anderson's largely been starting at, at small forward and they've been delivering and they're number three in defensive rebounding which is one of the big benefits of playing as big as they do as often as they do and they've also been continuing another Spurs hallmark and not fouling being number three in the league at opponent free throw attempt rate is phenomenal and exactly what they should be doing because then if you if you mitigate that so there's fewer fewer putbacks and then fewer cheap points at the line then you can handle some of the other stuff that teams throw at you and some of the other variants in terms of a team shooting success
1: yeah and those two bigs are still probably their two best offensive players at this point Gasol and LaMarcus. LaMarcus uh, having one of his better seasons posting up in a while I think taking advantage some of the fact that the league has gotten smaller. The scouting report always is when they throw it into him on the left block take away his left shoulder as he turns and faces he wants to get to a jump hook he's just really good even if you let him get to the elbow going to his right and using his left shoulder he'll make you pay and he still is shooting great there but because teams are taking away he actually goes to his right shoulder turning towards the baseline on that left block 60 percent of the time and While he's not quite as effective there, still scoring over a point per possession on those plays. So the league knows the scouting report, and he at least this year has been able to score even when his initial move, his preferred move, is taken away. And then Pau Gasol doesn't really post up all that much anymore. I think most teams are going with their larger big on LaMarcus in the post at this point but Powell really has been excellent in pick and pop and both of those guys are actually shooting greater than 40 percent from three still not a ton of attempts from them but that fits in with this Spurs MO which the last couple of years has been shoot a high percentage from three even though they're not getting up that many attempts
2: right they're number five in terms of shooting from three right now in terms of effectiveness but they're 29th in terms of proportion of shots that occur from long distance and I don't necessarily like that calculus for most teams but they've been able to Largely effective from the mid range, you know. So it's it's a lot easier to be effective from there if you have the right guys. And I think LaMarcus, at many points in his career, has been something else that I want to keep an eye on. He talked about you know three pointers as being a way that a lot of teams get points. Is that they're 28th in the league in terms of the frequency that they get point that they get in transition, and that's another way to get easy baskets. And this current iteration of the Spurs aren't going to be able to do that. But in a playoff series, you know, being able to run when you can is still at least a base level thing that I want them to be able to do.
1: Well, who on this team can push the ball? You know, I mean, I guess DeJounte Murray maybe is the only one. And, you know, Danny Green has been shooting more. He's been dribbling more, but he's not a guy who's going to push it down the other team's throat. And I think they, the biggest difference in them... Uh, I mean, I guess there are two from their absolute heyday when they were just tearing teams apart offensively in the early part of this decade is missing that impetus from Tony Parker, either getting into the lane at speed, finishing at the rim, those drives to the basket, and then also three or four possessions a game, he would just get an outlet and just push it down team's throats and just score at it when the, the other team's point guard was back on his heels. And so they're not quite getting that level of easy points anymore. Um, Monte Ginobili, another guy who at one point in his career was solid in transition, is not having that great of a year so far. And so, I mean, they just have so many kind of old, deliberate guys. Rudy Gay is another one of those, really, who, although he's looked very good Compared to where you think he would be uh, coming off that Achilles tear, uh, getting to the rim more, he's shooting well from three. Uh, they don't really have uh, anyone who's that like. Even Kawhi is a pretty deliberate guy uh, when he's in there.
2: Right. It's not necessarily that they're underperforming in transition relative to their talent. It's just that it's it's a way to get some uh, an offensive base that they don't have. And so if the shots are not falling from mid range, they can do that. But yeah, I mean, I want to see how they do. Obviously, we want to see Kawhi back because he's such an important part of this team. And the, and terms of evaluation to me they are largely in a holding pattern because so many of their other pieces fall into different places when Kawhi is on the floor and I think DeJounte Murray is the best example of that
1: yeah Murray still has not been able to find a way to be efficient and I think we knew that that was going to be the case for him early in his career coming out of Washington because he didn't shoot the three ball well and then he d- doesn't always get all the way to the room. He more relies on floaters. And so if you don't shoot the three and you don't get to the foul line, very, very difficult to be efficient in today's NBA. Real quickly here, would you like to guess who has the best net rating on this team? among players who've played uh more than 100 minutes oh
2: who has the best net rating yeah i'm gonna say i'm thinking it's probably somebody who doesn't start for them because i know their bench net rating has been good so i'm gonna go with rudy gay
1: rudy gay does have an uh, 8.9 net rating which is solid However, Bryn Forbes actually leads them with a 13 net rating. A lot of that in garbage time, and then Murray is second with 9.0. So their starters have been pretty good. Well, Bryn Forbes
2: had something else too, which is that he started the Bulls game.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah, that I mean that is just a pretty pathetic effort from the Bulls with all the guys that that they have out here. Uh, um, And some of their guys have really struggled. Kyle Anderson, they have not been good again with with him on the floor, and he's. I mean they've been starting him at the three sometimes alongside pow and lamarcus and i really just you know if they just had someone else who's a little better in that position i think i think they would be helped and then uh would you like to guess who has the worst net rating although it is a, a small sample size on this
2: team, i don't have to guess i know <laughs> in my heart i know <laughs>
1: ah king joffrey although it's most of the issue has been on offense which is not necessarily no that that doesn't that doesn't fit his traditional
2: mo but it does fit the spurs mo of being able to get a little bit more out of defensively limited guys
1: the sacramento kings three and nine two and four since our last 15 and 60 they did have a nice win last week against the thunder their net rating is horrendous negative 12.3 that is 30th in the nba they have the 29th ranked offense and perhaps even more disappointingly the 25th ranked defense
2: you watch this team and you think oh well that's good that they leaned into their problems and they you know they didn't spend the you know they did you could think oh they didn't spend the resources and they just understood this wasn't going to be their year so they're going to try out their young guys then you remember how much money they're paying zach randolph and george Hill, both of those guys for multiple years vince carter for one year i'm fine with that not not really a big problem and they're not reaping those returns and yes george hill has missed some time but he's been pretty bad when he's been on the floor and zebo in the way they're using him right now at the very minimum isn't helping
1: yeah and you remember when we were critical of those signings and people were like oh yeah you know these guys are leaders they're gonna at least like teach these guys the right habits and how to win and and you know what else were they going to do with their cap space anyway but and part of the reason we were critical is because we thought those vets would hurt their tanking effort that has not been the case at all i mean here's some stats from these guys vince carter has played less than 100 minutes so far he's pretty much out of the rotation at this point they're paying him 8 million this year 1.6 pr he is shooting 23 percent from the field george hill Only 39% on two-pointers, 7.7 PER for him. We talked a little bit about his struggles two weeks ago, and he he just looks real slow out there right now. And frankly, I think De'Aaron Fox is a better option for closing games than he is. And then Zach Randolph actually shooting it well from three, but he's shooting 48% at the rim This time, at this point. They have absolutely no stretch options whatsoever at the four. And Zach, and they don't even really have a three who can play up at the four either. So Zach is always out there with another traditional big and that makes his life pretty difficult when he's trying to score around the rim. But he's actually been more efficient this year than last year. We'll see whether that continues or not because again, I don't see him shooting 40% on threes all season. So without those guys really doing much it's down to all like rookies and second year guys maybe a third year guy or two would you, would you like to do a little more trivia since I, i'm uh on a roll here sure who has the highest true shooting percentage among players who have logged more than 100 minutes for the Sacramento Kings.
2: Normally you lean Bigs here and I still would lean Bigs. I'm going to go with Scout, but I could be horrendously wrong on that.
1: Garrett Temple okay. has a 55% true shooting, which is basically about league average. So the best guy on the team is 55% true shooting, uh Bogdan bogdanovich and I was played 9 games, he's at 54%. And even collie Stein, who is supposed to just be doing nothing but dunking around the rim is basically just average. So they just about nobody who has been remotely efficient whatsoever Um, and their highest usage guys are the lowest efficiency always a good sign as well which is a a big problem like Zach Randolph 27% De'Aaron Fox 25% usage but uh, only 450 true shooting percentage right now for Fox because he's not getting to the line and he's not making threes so that's uh, again very difficult to be efficient there Well, and, and you're gonna and... you're gonna
2: hear from me if if you wanted to do a, a an activity related to this you're gonna hear the word fundamentals from me a lot in this and it doesn't mean you know dribbling and passing and stuff like that it's more looking at what a team is trying to do and whether those have a sound whether that has a sound foundation and so with the kings their offense has these gigantic warning signs because they are shooting the most mid-range shots in the league and they are dead last in percentage of their shots at the rim and from three and so so even though they don't have great personnel for that it's it's even hard unless you're perfect to be an efficient offense with the way that they're taking their shots
1: yeah and you mentioned that they also they have the second lowest percentage of plays in transition now part of that is tough because as you always mentioned the the feedback loops where teams are scoring on them and then or they're not scoring and then teams are scoring on them and then they're taking the ball out of the basket um but you would hope that with fox they could push the ball a little bit more. But when you're playing with two traditional bigs, you're playing with Zach Randolph, who's not going to run the floor at all. Kufos is not really going to run the floor at all. George Hill, one of the slower point guards at this point as well. So they really don't have much in the way of of running. And at least that's one thing that they're able to get some points in the pre-Jager era by pushing the ball. Where are they in pace right now? Actually, they are 28th in pace. I just looked it up. That's uh, they really need to try and push the ball a little bit more. I think if you're, if you can't score in the half court, which they absolutely can't, well, and they don't um, have that
2: many guys that are particularly adept dribblers either. They have a few. Like I mean, I think I think they could use Bogdanovich a little bit more in that way than they have so far. He's done he did some of that in Europe actually, but you know, with with Buddy not being the most trustworthy ball handler in the world, Justin Jackson is having i would say overall a better season than i anticipated more just because he's playing more but i mean you have to sit there at a certain point in this season it's probably not now it's probably closer to january and say we need to put our young players in a circumstance that is more reflective of what they are going to be doing in the future to evaluate them
1: yeah and also in this last year of tanking at least as much as it used to be able to to uh let that happen as well, well. They're well, they're gonna have, have that, that either way doesn't really help no. much yeah yeah i i think you're right there uh but he healed actually higher usage than i recalled 25 percent, and he really does not get to the foul line at all which has been a big problem for this entire team of course um and shots have not been going in for him that much he had a nice end to last year but has fallen off to some degree if we're going to compare this year to last year for him playing about the same number of minutes per game still shooting 39% on threes, but really providing little else. It's 44% on twos, which is not very good, and pretty much still not shooting any free throws. And so you hope a guy like him, the idea, because he's not out there for his defense, is that he can be really efficient. And he is creating a fair number of shots, but well below the league average in true shooting. And so if your shooting specialist is not going to be efficient that's a problem uh i've liked a little bit more of what i've seen from uh, bogdan bogdanovich however
2: yeah he he certainly has some elements that you want to like he's kind of feisty defensively he's not a perfect man-to-man defender but he has been getting steals and blocks he's he's in the top kind of like top fifth of of his positional group in terms of that and he's been effective at the rim but the the trade-off there is that he's shooting 75 percent at the basket which is fantastic but he's not getting fouled at all so you're getting part of the benefit but not the whole thing
1: yeah and this team you mentioned doesn't shoot any three pointers he's part of that takes uh, 23% of his shots as long twos beyond 16 feet But teams take away the three-point line and they take away the rim and they're forcing this team to take a a lot of mid-rangers because they just do not have the threats to space the floor as they're playing with two traditional bigs a a lot of the time. So hopefully we'll have some nicer stuff to report next time from the Kings, maybe focus in on some of their prospects playing well. I mean, Fox still has definitely had some flashes. His athleticism when he gets a a step, he's had some nice cuts as well, especially in that Thunder game. He back cut Russell Westbrook a, a couple of times pretty nicely so and when he gets up there he can get his head almost right at the rim on some of these dunks so he he looks very spry his mid-range jumper he looks comfortable-ish taking that but the the three just has a long long way to go and only time is going to tell whether he can kind of take a mike conley yes step forward with his jump shot as not that many players do or is he going to be more kind of like a john wall or or lesser shooter ultimately that's i think going to determine a a lot of his destiny
2: agreed but let's move on to the portland trailblazers they are six and six two and four since the last time we did this but they're still fifth in net rating plus 5.4 14th in offense and fourth in defense and that fourth in defense is what i want to talk about
1: well and they're also first in the nba on getting to play the Suns uh, under Earl Watson.
2: Yeah. And and so they have this defensive profile which is really really bizarre and that's what I started getting getting into the weeds on this team. So they're fourth in defense, but they're last at forcing turnovers. They're giving up a ton of opponent free throws because they're rebounding a ridiculous amount of misses. They they have they're rebounding about 80% of the missed shots when the other team shoots, which is incredible. And they're fourth in opponent effective field goal percentage. At, at a significantly better rate than they were last year so last year they gave up 51.4 percent there now it's at 49.3 and so you know they do have personnel that's a little bit different but so one of the things as i'm going through these numbers is i start realizing we're only 12 games into the season that dem- demolition of the suns in a game remember cj mccollum didn't play is still a part of those numbers
1: yeah that's right because cj was suspended for leaving the bench the le- leaving the bench in, in the preseason I want to take a look and see if we can get a handle on, on why teams are shooting so poorly around the room against them and one reason probably is just their scheme right They're they lay back a lot you know if anyone that you look at is like a great shot blocker but they got guys who can stay in position I mean they do follow as you mentioned uh, a lot of that is Nurkic who's always been a, a high foul player in his career
2: but yeah that gets into something that I wanted to talk about which is that you said they're they're not, many of those shots aren't going in 54.6 percent at the rim is it, appallingly low but but they are allowing the third most shots there. Part of that, and when you think about that, they're fouling too. That's a, that's a big concern. And so you think that is something that could really regress because yeah, they could be better than most teams there. But being the best and having fifty four point six percent go in is a problem. And at the same point, they're not giving up corner threes, only five point five percent. But opponents are only shooting twenty seven point five percent on those. So even if those get to more normal levels, then this defense starts eroding. Pretty Pretty far, pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, if te- and then if teams start hitting threes, they're going to draw more of, of their players away from the basket. And without Frukaminu out as well, you remember their defense completely cratered last year without him. I mean, this is pretty darn similar personnel. Now, Crab is gone, and Crab struggled defensively for them. Turner, for all we harp on him, is a much better defensive player than Crabb is. And I think Nurkic is a pretty significant upgrade over Plumlee. They've gotten some nice play out of Ed Davis as well. But there's nobody on this team. You mentioned the 54% shooting. In terms of player tracking, there aren't any bigs who are like holding guys below 50% at the rim. Nurkic, 57.4% is actually a, a very poor number for a center. So I'm not really sure what is going on there maybe a lot of it is just that they're not giving up like wide open plays at the rim as well like transition back cuts you know just because they're staying in position they're staying solid and so even if when they do contest they don't force the highest percentage of issues they do at least contest a larger percentage of those shots I think that's probably what is going on there but those numbers could just be fluky I mean and we remember last year I got a little egg on my face because I predicted on one of our Monthly wrap ups that the Jazz would continue to hold teams to 54% shooting. And that's the Jazz with Rudy Gobert. And even that number went up, right? I mean, it's really, really difficult to sustain a number that low and while we talk about luck shooting on jump shots there is i think a if not a lucky angle at least an unsustainable angle when you get below or above a certain percentage allowed at the rim in terms of your defensive field goal percentage
2: and that same general tenant is true with their with their defensive rebound rate just because teams don't grab 80 percent of the boards last year detroit was the only team that was that had a better offensive rebound rate than 23 point 6 percent and they're three full percent lower than that
1: so you ex- wait that's I don't, I don't think that's right
2: yeah 23.6 the, was
1: where, where are you getting that from that's wrong because uh, this is cleaning the glass so like the, the, the sp- numbers
2: are a little different because oh, yeah, okay.
1: oh yeah all right because the, the spurs had like some unbelievable defensive rebound rate last year and i think the hornets did too i think they were both like you know 79 or 80 percent defense
2: yeah rebound. i think i think some of that was fueled by some of those just craptacular end, end of game things and it makes sense with both those teams that it could it could shift the numbers a little bit
1: yeah and the spurs were uh were awesome in garbage time they they always are uh okay so another thing that's been really interesting that you've honed in on is what it looks like with their two primary creators whom they are more dependent on than ever now with the departure of crap
2: yeah but them and Turner and Shabazz Napier is about is about all they have in terms of creating reliable shots and so what they've done is they've pretty much split the game in three they've only played about 22 minutes without either Lillard or McCollum so they play about half the game with those guys together and they've been you know plus 5.4 net rating 108 offense you know about about standard stuff for them. I think they could actually be a little bit better there. But then what's been interesting is that they've been above water with both guys alone, but it's been basically because they've been defending really well. So they've been at about 100 defensive rating with cj and not lillard and then a 97 six with lillard not cj so my question is i think the offense will be better in those times that it's been so far but how they fare in those minutes is going to be very determinative because the margins for the playoffs are going to be awfully tight
1: yeah and i think at least though this is probably as good a time as any to talk about where we see this bottom of the west playoff picture coming out we haven't done the 538 odds yet yet. but uh, maybe it's a good time to discuss those now like you know portland utah the clippers memphis new orleans are probably the five teams that are in that mix at the bottom of the west playoff picture um at least as far as i think oklahoma city is going to get out of there i know they're in there now but how is that shaping up at this moment
2: well something that i i was i was actually going to mention this at the outset but you know we, with liam going first is that i think the top six teams while they aren't necessarily there in terms of record right now i think we do have a pretty good sense that those teams are going to be in if we include denver in there as well so denver's at 80 percent, minnesota's at 80 the the thunder are a little bit above that so then you have this this group that's competing for two spots and it's the pelicans projected to win 43 59 chance of making it in memphis 54 percent, blazers 52 percent, clippers 46 and the jazz 44 though of course it doesn't know about Rudy Gobert I expect that to drop and have those percentages get split more among the remaining four teams
1: yes you think the Jazz are in trouble at this point Well, yes I do yeah and really I think we can say Lakers, Suns, Mavs, Kings uh, probably almost certainly out of it but uh, those five teams are really projected to still be in a band about three wins apart from one another at this point Clippers, I'm a little worried about, too, just because of, of their health. Uh, again, uh, they're at 5-7. We'll talk about them a, a little bit more in a bit. But let's get to Phoenix now. They are 5-9, and 3-5 and five since we last checked in on them. They still have a negative 9 net rating, which ranks 27th in the NBA. They have the 24th ranked offense and the 29th ranked defense.
2: And that's even after they had that win against the Timberwolves when both Devin Booker and TJ Warren scored 35 points
1: yeah and, and Booker was actually like beating Jimmy Butler who was beating himself up in the media afterwards for not playing a good enough defense on him and I thought Booker even he's shown a little bit more defensive like he was actually guarding Jimmy Butler and while Butler has his own issues which we'll talk about in the Minnesota section you know, he at least was like executing to keep him out of the middle on pick and rolls you know he was at least executing the defensive <laughs> scheme uh I think this is my last trivia for you who has the highest net rating on the Phoenix Suns having played? more than 100 minutes. Oh, more
2: than 100 minutes okay yeah i'm actually gonna say marquise chris
1: you're gonna say correctly my yeah. friend that is impressive because a lofty negative 2.7 well, net rating y- you
2: want you want the crazier marquise the chris that he's shooting 41.7 percent from three
1: yeah and i think as much as we discuss his issues and from the mental game standpoint if he's going to shoot like that and that was a big part of why i liked him coming out of college to the extent that i did is because i thought he was kind of a natural shooter and he takes a lot of those threes from the corners these days but you know and this could mean nothing certainly i mean there are guys who are shooting 59 percent from three still in the league after three and a half weeks here so I don't want to jump on board yet, but certainly it's possible that he's adjusted the line. I I was always impressed with his shooting at Washington. So yeah, maybe he uh, can start to contribute a a little bit here. Um, The best net rating on the team in 71 minutes is Jared Dudley, 9.7, of course. I mean, Jared Dudley is just like, if you actually want to win games, and I think Jay Triano probably does, uh, Dudley is still probably going to be their best option. At power forward, amazingly enough. And coming off that toe surgery, you know, he looks like he's gained like 25 pounds and he still is like uh, one of their better players. It's remarkable. Something
2: that I wanted to look into with them, just because you don't get this when you watch little bits and pieces, it's a good thing to look at in the aggregate, is they're 28th in terms of three points percentage made, not in terms of frequency, in terms of made, despite Devin Booker shooting a, a career high 36.6% on about six per game. So I'm sitting there going, well, why are they so bad? And then I saw the he's Chris they get I'm like really why are they so bad and then you look further down on it and you go oh Josh Jackson 27 percent Tyler Uless 11.8 T.J. Warren 10.5 and all of those guys are taking one about one and a half per game or more so it's not like they're just not shooting and missing them all that's still you know 1.5 a game for 12 games is not that much but it is kind of crazy when you think that that could be something that maybe not as a strength but not that big a weakness when you have Devin Booker taking such a large portion of them.
1: Yeah, and some of the efficiency numbers, like Tyler Ulis, for example, is playing a lot of minutes at point guard, and he is forty-one percent true shooting and twenty-one percent usage. So he's they really struggle for off the bounce creators. Warren, despite that having some big games, he's very boomer bust because sometimes he just can make cuts, he can get out and transition, but he's not really a reliable offensive creator that you can like throw the ball to every time. So it's going to be he's going to be very dependent on what the defense is doing and whether guys can set him up for his big games he's very efficient in those roles other than of course that putrid three-point shooting that you noted um jackson struggles with efficiency also i think are going to continue all season and mike james is another he's really more suited to a bench role i mean he's he's given them more than eric bledsoe was giving them for the first three games and then when he was sitting at home but he's giving them average efficiency and and some usage but doesn't really pass it much and generally his philosophy is just shoot it as soon as you can before you turn it over or pass it to somebody else so he at least avoids turnovers and it's just the result of needing i mean there's a reason that he wasn't in the nba not to say that he shouldn't be in the nba now but he's not like you know a number two creator on a good team
2: they also just have the problem of a lack of passing overall through their roster but you talk about how their 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 point guards including mike james don't get a lot of assisted baskets but that's because nobody else there is going to pass them the ball eventually josh jackson should be able to figure that out i think jared dudley has some moments where he can do that but really i mean thinking about chris and tyson chandler and alex len and i don't know warren has warren warren has has some aptitude there they haven't really but but it's also a system thing and it's pervasive like we saw that with earl watson their rosters changed over fairly frequently his teams were always really low in passing
1: yeah and again not like they had some some great passers on this team and then defensively especially with blood so gone now they're really not going to force any turnovers i mean maybe bender is their best steals guy at this point and he's a a power forward center and then in typical young sons fashion they're fouling like crazy i mean They've done well to at least get to five and nine after that awful start. It's certainly a better record than I would have anticipated they had at this point, but it's pretty much the same as it's always been. And the hope would be if Devin Booker really were the player that everyone thought that he in Phoenix thinks that he is in this, his third season, he would be able to impact winning a little bit more than he has so far. And there's nothing wrong with that, I think. But just if you always think, oh, hey, we're way too low On Devin Booker, he's not really been able to impact winning yet. And once you get into your third season, I know he was a very young rookie. You'd like to start seeing that happening if you're really talking about an upper echelon player, which I don't think he's going to be, and that's fine. But I think that should be acknowledged that if these guys are this bad, he's still the fact that he's not that unbelievable player is part of it.
2: And they still need to figure out exactly what they have in him. Not before the extension window, because that might not be realistic, but before you know, they they build the rest of this team out. That's going to be a real challenge. But let's move on to Oklahoma City. We covered the Thunder on the Twitter NBA show this week. That fun game, actually, against the Nuggets. They are 6-7, 3-4 since the last time we did this. Fourth in net rating at plus 6.8, 15th in offense, 2nd in defense. And the reason why they have the 4th best net rating and are 6-7 is because they are 0-6 in close games. Games.
1: Yeah, and they've gotten it back on track lately in these last couple mm-hmm. of games with PG putting up 42 and 37. Uh, Carmelo actually missed today's game against the Mavericks with a sore back. They were on track to another desultory offensive performance, and then both PG and Russ put up 16 points apiece in the third quarter as they ran away from the Mavericks to the tune of 39 points in that quarter. But in general, so we hope that they would be better offensively. And Russell Westbrook has set an all-time NBA record for usage last year, almost 42%. That's down 10% this year. But he's having really a very inefficient season, only 48% true shooting. He's never been someone who's been unbelievably efficient. But we've noted, number one, he's getting to the foul line less, making far fewer free throws, something we've also talked about. And then his mid-rangers, he's not taking nearly as many of those, which is good. He's not forcing as many late clock, but he's shooting pretty poorly on that. Also, you remember... He loves to do those transition plays where he sort of turns it into a post up. And I think either the word has gotten out that he goes right shoulder on that play every single time, but he's only got, I think, five points on his 15 post ups. So that's not really good. And then in transition, he's missed a lot of shots. He's turning the ball over a ton as well. So I think he's going to get better on his mid rangers and floaters. But. Something to watch is potentially the declining athleticism. And one thing in particular, he had 49 dunks last year, and he's only got four so far this year. And so that is definitely a decline in terms of percentage of his shots subjectively he just hasn't had as many wild plays i think he's been taking a little bit easier but maybe he's not going to be a lot of our rosy predictions for the thunder were that he was going to be if not quite as high usage at least close to the same player that he was a year ago or back in the kd days and he has not been that guy to date
2: and offensively, they're also seeing a subpar performance relative to expectations for Patrick Patterson. He is looks like he's getting better. Like I think he's looking better physically than he did early in the season when it was just awful, but he's still 10% usage rate, 40% true shooting, which especially for a guy who can take and make threes is not strong. And then they've been relying heavily partially because they can't use Patterson on Andre Robertson. And Robertson is a wonderful defensive player and has had some really nice plays and some really nice games in that way. But a He's one of those players who is so specifically limited that teams are not, maybe not game planning for him, but they know how to handle him better now than they used to.
1: Yeah. Only a 98 offensive rating with him on the floor and then 108 when he is off the floor. And actually, we saw Rick Carlisle today foul him in the third quarter and Billy Donovan actually called timeout to get Robertson out of the game after he bricked the two free throws really badly. And it seems whatever his problems were, they seem to have only. Exacerbated uh, from the foul line in particular. The good news for them, though, is that Paul George, after really struggling, appears to be back. He had that 42 point game against the Clippers. Uh, then he blew open this Dallas time in in what we'll call PG time when uh, or or this Dallas game in PG time when uh, Russell Westbrook was out of the game he had 10 points at halftime and finished with 37 and he just seemed to be a little bit more empowered especially maybe with Melo being reduced these last couple of games he's handling more in pick and roll he's getting more isos as well he loves to cross over multiple times and then finish it off with a crossover going to his left getting to the rim and he also really has been hunting a lot of threes he's now taking 45 percent of his shots from three and he was seven out of 12 today and, and he's been coming off of screens more for three-pointers trying to move off the ball to get spot ups when his teammates drive and in part of why his efficiency has been down he's not hitting his long twos as well but he really if he keeps shooting this many threes and shooting a good percentage I, I think he can get back there in terms of his efficiency even if he's not getting to the foul line quite as much and, and not really passing as much as he had last year either.
2: And it was also encouraging to see him play that nice defensive game against denver he was really just stifling a lot of a lot of what they wanted to do and for this team to reach their ceiling at least on that end they're going to need a, an energized paul george especially if they're going to have mellow out there for periods of time and something i want to stick a pin in and this might be something we go to two weeks from now it might be a month is a couple of extremes that they're dealing with on the defensive end so they are forcing the turnovers on 19.5 percent of possessions which is the league's best it's an absolute ton but they're 27th in defensive rebounding and 23rd in a free throw rate I expect all of those to regress to the mean and so how they all fit together will be important and so if they can kind of clean up the clean up the negative parts of that and then get a, they can suf- they can survive a, just a, a moderate return on the on the turnovers but this team I see the fundamentals of their defense as being very very good maybe not this good they're second in the league but still very good
1: yeah and I think the fact that the defense has been this good is maybe more encouraging than the fact that the or than the fact that the offense is bad is discouraging because I think they can get there offensively now if they stop playing Robertson maybe the the defense gets worse the steal rate gets worse I mean but I do think you know between George Westbrook has always been a high steals guy Robertson Jeremy Grant really makes guys uncomfortable as well they've got a lot of length and a lot of speed and a lot of shot blocking in addition to forcing turnovers so I mean and shot blocking even can result in forced turnovers as well right if guys would want to go up with a shot and then instead they got to kick the ball out the more you pass it around the more turnovers are going to result and with all the issues that they have had five three eight still projects them to be third in the western conference although at a mere 50 wins because they've got the spurs wolves and nuggets a a little bit lower shall we uh, move on to new orleans here
2: yeah let's do it i'll just mention quickly that i i think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic for the thunder at this point but new orleans they're seven and six they're over 500 four and three since the last time we did this slightly positive net rating 0.4 is 15th in the league and they're doing it through defense they're 21st in offense and eighth in defense and some of that you can see by the fact that they have they're holding opponents to less than a hunt a point per possession when davis and cousins are on the floor together
1: yeah that's really impressive and we'll see whether they can improve the offense without the defense going downhill what they're doing at the three still is a question mark i mean they've got dante Cunningham, darius miller they're playing each one more there some as well jameer nelson has given them a a little bit of a boost but then also it just seems like when they don't have ad and cousins together they don't quite have the impetus in terms of guys who can create for them uh how have uh, something we've been tracking all season how has it looked uh with those two guys in individual matchups and then uh or i should say with only one of them on the floor or both of
2: them it's not entirely a surprise they've been strong plus 7.7 net rating together and they've been now this shifted they were a lot worse without davis than they were with cousins but now they're a little bit of they're below water with both of those guys so it's negative 3.5 net rating with just boogie negative eight for davis that's actually a market improvement and the single stat that i was most intrigued by in this one was the efficiency of anthony davis with and without demarcus cousins and really one of the biggest differences for you can think about it from an intellectual thing but i think some of it might also just be noise because we're still early in season anthony davis is shooting a little bit he's shooting more frequently in the restricted area when it's just him but his uh, his efficiency drops he ma- he's making 83 percent of his shots in the restricted area when cousins is on the floor and just 65.4 percent when cousins is off the floor and that does make some sense though because cousins is often drawing the other team's other big in other places
1: yeah or he's actually spacing the floor for the other right. forcing i mean and you probably got to put your biggest guy on cousins or he's just going to bludgeon you but then he can get space out to the three-point line and let ad go to work a big part of why their offense has still been pretty poor despite the great individual numbers from those two guys is drew holiday in a struggle despite being age 27 and he got that massive contract five years 125 million over the offseason 12.0 pr which is not great he's turning the ball over a lot his usage is down which you'd expect that he wouldn't be scoring quite as much or attacking quite as much when you have two huge usage guys with davis and cousins now on the team But the hope would be that he could have really improved his efficiency. And he's never been above the league average in true shooting percentage. And right now, he's shooting 23% from three. That's going to get better for sure. But the other issue, too, is he's only in the ninth percentile uh, attacking in the pick and roll. And I watched a bunch of his pick and roll possessions, and most of them are run with either Cousins or AD. And generally, Holiday, he's a patient player, not very explosive by this point in his career. He's able to get guys on his back. A little bit and kind of force the matchup with the big but he doesn't really have the burst to do anything once he's one-on-one with the big he's not going to blow past that guy for a layup the mid-ranger, he doesn't have a lot of confidence in. And also, I think he, once he's able to engage the big, he's looking to try and get it to AD. But then there's always help coming from the backside because they don't really have the shooters. And so Holiday really just has not been able to score efficiently or to set guys up, particularly while out of the pick and roll. And whether that's his own failings, certainly his lack of shooting has been an issue. And then also the fact that there seems to be help available a lot of times as well on these pick and rolls due to the lack of shooting around them but they're going to need more from him. Especially, I mean, this is supposed to be the good year of this contract, right?
2: It has to be. I mean, especially he is 27, but A, he has a lot of NBA miles on his chart, but also just physical injuries. You know, the stress the stress things that were such a big problem when they traded for him in the first place and ended up being part of the reason Sam Hinkie may have been fired is that at least the perception of something there. I don't know. I, I, I'm not privy to what happened there, but Holiday needs to be productive in these early years also because they're trying to sell DeMarcus Cousins on staying and they're trying to be the best team they can before Anthony Davis has to make his own decision and so you want Drew to be productive and they still have so much to figure out in the rest of their perimeter rotation hopefully they can you know hopefully they get they get more out of that when I guess when Rondo gets back but it's it's a challenge for them and they have been so good despite those limitations with Davis and Cousins together and so you kind of sit there and go you can sell yourself on the idea that this could be a playoff team if those guys stay healthy but remember we're dealing with Anthony Davis here and we usually pencil in for about 65 games and boogie more definitely more durable than that but they need so much from the guys that they're relying on and if that dips for even a couple games you talked about how packed in that band that's probably like four or five teams going for two spots is then they need everything to go right and it certainly can it did a couple years ago but that's what they need again Let's talk
1: about Minnesota. They are kind of the anti-Thunder in some ways because they have a 7-5 and five record. They were 7-3 and three before getting killed by the Warriors without Kevin Durant. And I thought that was actually a bad loss to be that non-competitive uh, to, to the point where Steph Curry wasn't even playing in the fourth quarter, even with Kevin Durant out uh, for the Warriors. And then another loss where they were unable to close out the Phoenix Suns late and Warren and, and Devin Booker just killed them. So they are seven and five now they did have a five game winning streak before that but negative 3.0 net rating much of that carnage compiled in the two games that Jimmy Butler missed with an illness but they have the 11th ranked offense but the 28th ranked defense.
2: Their defense has been pretty awful so far this year. And it's starters, it's bench, it's everybody. They have the third worst starter defensive rating, 1097. They have the third worst bench defensive rating, 1071. And they will be benefited in some areas. But I mean, I think the big, big concern is that they're 25th in the league in terms of proportion of opponent shots at the rim. And the opponents are shooting 68.3% on those
1: yeah and the Thibodeau defense he's playing with two bigs a lot of the time he's got Taj Gibson in there who's supposed to really help that Butler was supposed to help uh, prevent penetration and to give up both that percentage and to be allowing that many attempts at the rim as well it, is just miserable that's what Tom Thibodeau's defense is take away corner threes in the rim it, it, that's what they're all about and they have not been able to accomplish that at the rim at all and then they also don't even get back on defense either
2: no I mean that's that's another big problem they're 29th in the league in terms of getting basically getting back proportion of opponent shots in the half court only 19.2 percent or not only 19.2 percent of their opponent possessions are in transition that's a lot and even if you are on the positive end of that even if you were that would be way too much to give up
1: and they are at least avoiding fouling but I think that might be part of Carl Towns' issues, too, is that he just is so concerned about staying on the floor that he's just is not providing that much force defensively, and maybe he can't at this point. I mean, it, Bob Vulgaris likened his defensive effort to a cat chasing a laser toy at this point which is not uh, as if you ever see my cats do that that's not the image you want for uh your your starting center defensively uh and the numbers with the towns on the floor and off are quite telling with him 112 which is basically worse than the league level without him 102 and so whenever when he's not out there they actually get back to being pretty decent and wiggins has gotten a lot of crap for his defense but towns as a big can cause much more damage damage to the defense and it appears that that has been the case so far with them even if they've gotten a little bit unlucky in terms of teams hitting a lot of jumpers against them especially they're shooting 47 percent in the mid-range opponents are but and this towns thing is just it's we got to keep monitoring we're going to keep harping on it because this is a team that not only has ambitions this year but hopes with these guys wiggins and towns are supposed to be so talented to get into championship contention and it just won't happen unless carl towns gets better defensively it it can't
2: it can't and they do have the personnel and and you could think of it that they can get better so it's not a lost cause but you have to start shifting your expectations and your those bases as move forward but i i don't think it's as concerning in the long term because i think it can correct but it does lead to some other structural concerns in terms of what's been going on with jimmy butler who is actually fourth on the timberwolves in usage
1: I think there might actually be someone else higher than him too. I think Teague is is right at the same level. So only 24.4% usage. Butler, despite his reputation as a star, has always had a little bit lower usage than a lot of those guys. Even his breakout 2015 was only 21%, but he was just so efficient that he was scoring 20 a game anyway. And then he got up to 27% usage last year, but that was still below Dwayne Wade on the Bulls. And so... As much as he has really pushed his career, he does seem to defer a lot to guys who aren't as good as him, and and Wiggins is certainly that. But it's also worth noting that Butler has not been as good this year when he has gotten the opportunities. And while we might carp about the Wolves having a lack of spacing, it's certainly still better than what the Bulls had last year, and he was still able to be efficient last year. So some of the stats, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit too about what I saw watching him on film his free throw rate is down he had a career high 54 percent last year it's 44 percent this year but also remember his usage is way down too so just in terms of raw tolls a lot lower he's really been off on long twos and that's a shot that he needed to set up his iso game to set up his pick and roll game uh his shots at the rim are down he's taking more short mid-rangers instead where you'll see times when he tries to attack he sees that there's help there and he has to has to pull up Uh, part of why I didn't really care for the Crawford signing especially when they already had Teague and Wiggins I mean they had enough guys who can do stuff with the ball in their hands and Crawford is taking shots out of Butler's hands like he has a higher usage than Butler and so that's a concern that he is sort of I mean the narrative is that he's just you know trying to concentrate on other things and like the defense well the defense isn't any good and he's not really hitting any spot ups he's been awful on spot ups six out of 22 and his passing is down as well so this whole idea of like taking a step back to help the team and concentrate on other stuff the other stuff that he's concentrating on hasn't really been improved either just watching him he only has 25 points on 44 possessions as a pick and roll ball handler and That was 37% of his possessions last year. That's down to about 26% this year. When he pulls up for jumpers off the dribble, his legs are all over the place. He's not rising straight up. He's leaning forward. He's turning sideways. He's not just landing in the same place off the dribble. Even when he's trying to pull up for threes, he's kind of really leaning in in an odd way. And it's not a surprise. When you see the way he's shooting the ball, it's not a surprise that it doesn't go in. The shot doesn't look on balance and good. Uh, another thing too is that his pick and rolls with Taj Gibson usually seem to go nowhere because Taj is just not a good pick and roll finisher doesn't have good hands he'll catch it he'll travel he's not explosive enough to go up and finish the way he used to be either uh, and so I'm not sure what it is with him yet. I, I don't want to say that he's like done being this great offensive player, but he has not looked like that guy so far. And it's not just an example, a situation where it's like, oh yeah, you know, he's just not doing it as much, and he's the same guy. He has not been the same guy even when he has tried to attack this year.
2: I want to keep an eye on it, and I'm not freaking out yet, but it is definitely an area of concern. And something else that I think has been encouraging for them, and you know, we've talked a lot about some of the negative parts, but you know, they they do have the 11th yeah. ranked offense, and part of that is Nemanja Bialica. Bialica is shooting 59% from three, 61% from two, and that gives him a 75% true shooting. He's being huge offensively, and then that's helping kind of offset Tyus Jones and Baz Napier, or sorry, not Bos Napier, Boz Muhammad, not making any shots.
1: Yeah, he actually has changed his name to Boz, right? Correct. Yeah, uh, yeah. those guys, both single-digit PRs, both guys that we thought ha- could have their moments offensively, and maybe Tyus Jones in particular will come around. Bielitsa, interestingly enough, has played more minutes uh, than uh, Gorgie Dank, which is a surprise only uh four more years to go i guess uh th- three and five six more years to go uh on that 16 million dollar a year contract for jeng
2: yeah that's definitely a concern ready to move um, on to memphis or do you have anything else on them
1: uh no i i you mentioned concerns and people who are trying to hire have concerns as well but zip recruiter can alleviate those it can certainly be difficult to hire because you don't know where to post your job to find the best candidates you could go with the super specific trade magazine you can even go with craigslist like we found when i was working as a lawyer we actually found a couple of lawyers to hire at our firm on craigslist But now you don't have to go to these myriad sites. You can streamline it by going to ZipRecruiter. So when you're busy, you're still smart about the way you hire. You can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And then ZipRecruiter will put its smart matching technology to work. They notify qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting. So you receive the best possible matches. You're not just waiting now for someone to just find you. It actively reaches out and finds them. That's why 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. You don't have to juggle emails. Remember all the login and passwords for all these different sites. You can simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. And, of course, let them know that you came from us. You can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Capspace, that URL, easy to remember, because we talk about Capspace all the time in the program. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Capspace. One more time, try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Capspace. Let them know that you came from us. All right, the Grizzles, as uh, Dan Patrick used to call them.
2: Memphis, 7-5, and 2-4 and four since last time we did this, because they were one of the season's best success stories early on, along with the Magic and the Pacers. Net rating is still positive, plus... Point three is thirteenth, twentieth in offense, sixth in defense. And so I think there are a couple different angles to talk about with them. But I think what's been most interesting is that they've been the league's second best bench, plus eight point six net rating, been solid on defense, but they've been doing it with just a really nice collection of guys having redemption years.
1: Yeah, and some of these teams will get a bunch of these guys and none of them end up working out. But Memphis, we thought that the guys they signed were Solid risks. BAE to Tyreek Evans, three point three million. You know, a guy who who has had some quality seasons in the past, struggled with injuries was sent out to pasture in sacramento as salary matching in the demarcus cousins trade did not get bought out which was surprising last year and he just looks much more spry now now a lot of that is just that he's shooting the ball at an unsustainably high rate i mean 62 percent true shooting is by far the best of his career he's not some great mid-range shooter he's not going to keep shooting 43 percent from three and shooting almost five attempts a, a game but the things that he has done that i think can continue is really what he's done pushing the ball in transition he's got about Four possessions a game in transition. He'll either run the lane or he can get the rebound and push it himself, going back to some of his early days in Sacramento when they ran a lot. And that's giving them some extra points. Memphis, not usually a big running team, but that's helped. His isolations have been effective. Again, I don't know how much that's going to continue with him crossing guys up for mid range jump shots. Uh, But the other thing that I've liked about him is just his finishing at the rim has looked better. He's never been a great finisher at the rim. He's always been able to get there uh, and gets disrupted. But I think the fact that there is now not as much rim protection in the league has helped him a little bit. And he just looks better physically than he has in a couple of years to me. And worth noting that, you know, he's not that old. He's like 27 and he's had these issues, but... It wouldn't be the first time we saw a guy leave New Orleans and look a lot better physically. Um, Now, his redemption story is probably not quite as severe as what the announcers in memphis are calling him they're calling him reek which i would not recommend calling him <laughs> from from now on that and it's too bad because there might have been a point at which that was a totally fine nickname for him to have then gave of thrones came out it's like yeah it's probably not who you want to uh, be named after anymore
2: the other redemption story that we can talk about now especially because we don't know how it's going to change is chandler parsons parsons last year not only did he not play very much <laughs> yeah, quick
1: let's talk about him before he starts sucking again
2: but he was you know he was one of the worst <laughs> players when he was on the floor last year and he wasn't on the floor very much and a portion of why I'm concerned about regression is that you can be really efficient if you're shooting 48% from three and taking almost 60% of your shots from there but as that starts to change it can be a little bit different but what's been nice is that they've been able to score on that second unit partially because he's been playing power forward that means those shots are more open to him just because of how backup fours like to play and there are concerns there in terms of rebounding but he's been a productive helpful player for the their team and is leading them actually in net rating at plus eleven point six.
1: Well, in last year when he'd take those threes, you you noticed that he just didn't have the legs and it was it was always short. Now he just looks much better. He's coming off his of screens, shooting the ball even from three and I don't know how many minutes he can play I don't know how much he can do of actually playmaking with the ball in his hands but even just getting some solid solid spot up shooting and attacking on closeouts as he's been doing is gravy for this Memphis team he's still unlikely to be the player that they paid for in the summer of 2016 but just to get something out of him Another thing that I think we can note here is how good their bench has been, but that's because, you know, they have players on their bench who are way better than the players in the starting lineup.
2: They've moved away from Andrew Harrison in the starting five. Actually, Dylan Brooks has started their last four games, and he's played 21 or more minutes in every single one of their games this season, including at the beginning when Jermichael Green got hurt. And they, Jarrell Martin, you know, you you have that kind of issue, but when Jermichael Green gets back. But what makes that... pleasant about their bench is that their bench is actually going to stay the same even when those guys get back in so they've been good i mean you expect a little bit of regression to the mean but i like a lot of the elements with this team also they've been getting to the line a lot and they haven't been turning the ball over and you could see those you know toned down a little bit but I expect the Grizzlies to be strong in both of those measures
1: Ben McLemore made his return as they got blown out in Houston over the weekend played 18 minutes and you imagine that at some point he will get a chance to start Wayne Seldon also made his return only played four minutes though in that game so we'll see I mean I think they want to give management probably wants to give McLemore a chance here to take that starting job he's the best shooter of those players probably not the best defender but we'll see whether he can be rehabilitated in that way now that he's in memphis i was he'll be someone to watch and maybe we can check in on him in the next 15 and 60 and whether brooks holds on to that starting spot whether it's selden whether it's macklemore and then when Jermichael green comes back i mean the hope is we're always saying all right if they could just get these like you know 45 percent true shooting guys as Jarrell Martin has been that out of their starting lineup and just get all quality players going they'll be in good shape they've also gotten great great minutes from Brandon Wright as a backup big where would they be without him if he goes down then they're relying on Deontay Davis who's only played like eight minutes all year and Martin maybe he'll play some they don't have any other bigs um other than Gasol But health is going to be a big issue here for these guys. If they can get these replacement level guys out of the lineup, I think they could really take off. If they can't, then I think they're going to flounder about, you know, kind of a couple games over 500 all year.
2: One other weird thing that I want to mention is that this week they will play their fourth and final game against the Rockets, which is just insane. Like, oh, they, you shouldn't play a team four times in the first month of the season for the, for the point of competitive balance. And then they don't play them again the whole rest of the year. I hate that.
1: Yeah. Well, they certainly have benefited in theory because Paul, uh, has missed all of those games let's get to the lakers five and eight they are three and four since the last 15 and 60 they have as often has been the case during this rather ugly run they've had the last few years at least earlier in the season they've been frisky at home on the road it it gets a little uglier and they've fallen back to earth a little bit since going on a road trip have not been particularly competitive in a lot of these games uh net rating negative 3.0 which probably better than you would have expected them to be that's 22nd overall in the league they have the 27th ranked offense but somehow the fifth ranked defense how much of that are you buying that defense
2: very very little very very little so their opponents are shooting 31.6 percent from three which is 28th in the league and that is a lot less sustainable than their own 28.9 percent that that part you know they'll get better but they're they've been the worst three-point shooting team offensively so you have these two things running in opposite directions and a point that you brought up i, I mentioned that, uh, when we were writing the notes that they're shooting below 26 percent on corner threes and the note you brought up was they don't have any shooters which is a fair point yeah
1: kcp i think has helped them just sure. in terms of his willingness to shoot but i don't know if he's especially on this team with the lack of shooters they have is he going to be a really high percentage guy brooke lopez will take him as well but he's kind of more of a uh taker than a maker Still, although he does space the floor and when he gets hot, that really helps. I mean, other than the threes, why do we think that the defense is going to get worse? I mean, I know it's 31%, which is not great, but that's like... that's not like too far of an outlier for just you know three and a half weeks of the season so is there any other reason to think that that's gonna get worse just maybe as they fall out of it they won't try as hard anymore
2: well i just think when you think about the the elements of a successful defense they, their foul rate has actually been better than i expected and that could be personnel you know they could be better in that way than i anticipated but they're not forcing a ton of turnovers and they've been all right as a defensive rebounding team so you're kind of thinking okay well if they're they're fine but not spectacular or any of those things then it's a lot about their their shooting defense and I haven't when I've watched them I haven't thought of their shooting defense as being particularly deaf there have been times when they've when they've done a nice job so I don't expect them to be you know, maybe abysmal in that way, but once they signed KCP, I think we both agreed that they weren't going to be that. But I, my expectation is just based on personnel, and yeah, you're right. Some of it could just be when they lose some steam that they'll that they'll fall off there.
1: But well, well are you thinking they're going to be like an average defense this year, or they're going to fall back to some of the depths that they? Oh
2: no, I in, don't think it'll in be in the, the depths. I my instinct is somewhere around like 17th to 20th, something in that range, and that would be okay. I
1: mean, and even even that would be quite a triumph for, oh, for yeah. the team comp- considering where they've been Uh, and much as you want to complain about Lonzo and we'll talk more about him momentarily he's still a better defensive player I think uh, than Russell was at center Lopez doesn't play that much but he at least takes up some space around the rim, and I really think that the effort that they've gotten on the perimeter from guys like KCP and even Lonzo, like he'll he'll execute in terms of trying to deny guys. Like he's not that great once the guy gets the ball and tries to go right at him. He's not that great getting over screens, but they just, they're making things a little bit more difficult. Like that comes through in a palpable way. And I think Brandon Ingram getting stronger has helped as well. He's he's not, I think he's kind of more of like a Tayshon Prince sort of defender than, you know, a Paul George defender. But whereas Prince never really got a lot of blocks in steel. Despite his length, and I think those guys are somewhat similar athletes to one another as well. Maybe Ingram is probably a little bit better of a, a leaper off at two feet already, but Ingram is more can kind of contain his guy, try to contest with length the way Prince once did. And so, I mean, to be fifth, regardless of whether it's lucky or whatever, in any month, absolutely is really quite a triumph for, for these guys. And I think they all of them deserve a lot of credit. Speaking of Ingram, before we get to Lonzo, he's taken steps forward this year. And remember how young he was when he first came in. But 51% true shooting, it's not like just absolutely killing you level anymore, you know, and... and he's shooting way more of his shots at the rim than he was last year almost half of his shots there now his shooting percentage is still not great at the rim not great from mid-range not great from three but it's not just like one of the worst offensive players in the npa type of levels and he's getting fouled a lot more now he's getting fouled on 17 percent of his shots uh, per ben fox uh, cleaning the glass let's talk about lonzo now what are your latest thoughts on him
2: I'm very concerned about the jump shot. I think that it is something that will, you know, in time, that there will be a chance for hit to get better. But it's, I mean, when a guy's shooting 25% from three and 36, the 36% from two probably scares me more because he. Well,
1: and you remember he shot 71% on twos last year at UCLA. Yeah,
2: and he's had some some bad misses at the rim. Like there, it's it, it's a it's a strange circumstance because you you see a lot of the positives with him, and then you see all of the negatives and so it's just wondering whether because the positives are going to stay there you know his core vision is is incredible his instincts as a passer are, are crazy I think that he has some nice moments defensively like as a periodic shot blocker and rebounder for his position but the point guard position now is predicated on two basic ideas well three passing and then whether you can create separation and use that properly and then whether you can hit jump shots and separation is a concern and the jump shot is a concern and so the passing at this point in the nba is not enough to sustain a a successful offense for a primary ball handler and that's why i'm a little i'm not super freaked out i'm just a little freaked out
1: well and if he's not gonna do a ton with the ball in his hands and we really have not seen much even in the way of flashes either then he's got to hit shots off ball and on spot up shots this season he is eight out of 35 And that's like supposed to be open, like catch and shoot good looks here. And on 30 of those plays, he's taken jumpers and he's six out of 29 with one turnover on those really, really miserable. And the ball is just not going in. You wonder when his confidence is going to get to be an issue. He also is only, and this is, remember, he's a point guard, right? So there are just going to be times that you're late in the clock. They throw it to him. In theory, your point guard should be able to create a shot there. He's only had 7 isos on the year and he scored only one of those times. And and the only one of those plays that even where even like made any kind of a move was he blew right past d'angelo russell when russell was just kind of looking the wrong way and and got to the rim and then of course missed the layup immediately he's shooting only 40 percent at the rim right now now uh, the passing has been wonderful the defensive rebounding has been outstanding they still oddly enough actually seem to play better when he's on the floor despite how miserable he's shooting the ball but they didn't draft this dude number two to be like a worse shooting ricky rubio and all right he's young he's doing some nice things i'm not ready to give up on him He could even be a quality player, but he has... The question marks that everyone had about his game have only been exacerbated he has not answered any of the things and i mean the only heart you can take right now is that he hasn't gotten trucked completely defensively and that the passing has held up and that does look awesome
2: it does and it can be an overall positive for the team and especially depending on what personnel they get and i'm actually at this point more concerned about the separation than i am about the shooting just because we have a little bit of a backstop on prior experience saying okay maybe, the shot, maybe the shot's going to come a little bit better but the athleticism and the relative athleticism it's hard to get that much better other than getting smarter and getting a better sense of where your opponents are going to be than where you are when you're you know when you're still a young rookie in the league
1: well if you consider where he's at with in terms of his shake and athleticism for him to be a star like guys with his body type and athleticism do not become stars unless they can really shoot the ball it's true right like he has to become a really really good shooter you know he's gotta become Chauncey Billups Steve Nash type of shooter and maybe Nash would be unlikely because Nash is unbelievable but otherwise you know he really is looking at more of sort of a a Rubio type of career he's looking at being a nice player and as opposed to being like some uh, enormous star because it's just uh, the physical attributes are not there for him to be successful unless he is an above average shooter and and he is so incredibly far below that right now
2: is it more encouraging or, or whatever to move on to the clippers here because the clippers are in this weird point where they've been good when they've been healthy but they're the clippers and so we can't rely on that happening
1: yeah five and seven now one and six after uh that four and oh start they still have a positive net rating uh, they also benefited from playing those earl watson sons uh, early on they do have the sixth ranked offense which is encouraging and they are down to the 20th ranked defense there are some statistical reasons though to believe that that 20th ranked defense can improve because they are at least forcing the right kinds of shots from the opponents
2: 21.6 percent of opponent shots have been long twos even specifically so they're number two in forcing mid-range shots but number one in long twos and teams are making 42 percent of those which is high relative to it but that's still what you want like their their fundamentals are there and teams are shooting almost 40 percent from three that's high we would expect that to come back and so so you look at those kind of elements and you say okay you know this their the defense can be better than it has been but then you look at the fact that against new orleans in a game they only lost by eight they started Cindarius thornwell austin rivers and wesley johnson because get Ga- because gallo with the glute pat beverly and tay dosage were all out
1: yeah Teodosic of course uh, is only played in parts of two games with that plantar fascia injury Beverly shut down for at least a couple of games with knee soreness never a great sign for a guy who's had multiple knee surgeries as he has the the numbers for Sundarius Thornwell have been really bad negative 8.4 net rating and the second worst on the team is Lou Williams with negative 1.2 so I haven't watched him that closely but I'll try to zoom in and see if i can figure out why that is i mean he had a really rough stretch against golden state and got pulled out of the game for that but nothing stands out really of like oh man this guy is killing them it could just be bad luck Blake Griffin slowing down a little bit after a scorching hot start but he's still making 40% from three and he's taking a third of his shots from downtown who would have ever thought that would be the case for him also really is cut down in his mid-rangers he was has made the transition there because he was taking probably too many of those the last couple of seasons and now he's only taking 10% of his shots from on twos outside of 10 feet. The issue, though, in terms of his efficiency, why has he not been? I mean, shooting forty percent for three, shooting all these threes. Why is he not as efficient? So he's only shooting sixty-two percent at the rim, which is not amazing. For him, in fact, it is a massive career low. He was sixty-seven percent last year, and basically has been above seventy percent every other year of his career. So it's clear with the number of threes that he's taking, the lack of explosion around the rim, although he still is able to beat smaller power forwards, he really cannot beat the best power forwards. But not to mention centers who get put on him every once in a while in the post any longer and so he really is very dependent on facing a good matchup and he can kill those guys if he goes against a real traditional power forward it's going to be tough for him unless he can really get that pick and pop game going from three which yeah he's made a few of those i'm not sure that he's there yet i've all he's still having a very nice season i mean he's probably he's been above expectations this season but it's just interesting to look at how he because you know i've probably sounded more negative on him than i meant to be there i think he's been above expectations so far this year
2: that's something that i've liked about his game for the last couple of years is that he's been become a good opportunist in terms of post-ups about when he gets that switch and gets a smaller guy on him about taking advantage quickly and that also has benefited from or he has benefited from being a better free throw shooter than he was before that would have been a the thing if he was still that guy that they could just foul him but you can't do that with blake anymore he's making more of a shots and so i think that there are elements to be positive about with them they there have a plus 9.7 net rating in 200 minutes when Blake DeAndre and Gallinari have played together the question is just going to be how many minutes a game is that going to be how many games is that going to be
1: yeah and then their second unit is really struggling as well as you noted who they're starting it gets even rougher on the second year they still have Lou Williams to help out with the scoring but they had to play Montrez Harrell and Willie Reed together two basically non-shooting big men they really miss Gallo or Wes Johnson playing as a backup for when Wes has to move in the starting lineup and Gallo is out so not getting the spacing there has made things a lot more difficult for them and Willie Reed is having a very nice offensive season he's been extremely efficient but he struggles defensively he doesn't move his feet all that well not incredibly aware he can get up for some impressive blocks on occasion but just in terms of like knowing how to stay on the axis between the ball handler and the roll man and and disrupt what the other team is trying to do and timing his help he's not really one of the better centers at that to be sure uh shall we move on to houston
2: let's do it the Rockets are an impressive 11 and 3 6 and 1 since the last 15 and 60 net rating they're third in the league plus nine second in offense 11th in defense and the people that are carrying their offense is James Harden and and Eric Gordon Harden PER almost at 30 right now 35% usage 50% assist percentage which is awfully impressive and he's been effective uh, 61.5 true shooting is very good for him
1: yeah and even with the Free throws down a little bit. That's been the case. I think he made six or more threes in the last four games. Is
2: that right? That sounds like it might be right. Yeah. Oh no, not tonight. Tis that was recording this on Sunday. He did that though. So he made six or more in five consecutive games. But that streak was snapped with a three for twelve in a game. They still won by twenty three.
1: Yeah, and that was an NBA record. So uh, a couple of, I mean, he had 17 three-point attempts in that win over the Knicks. And every single one of those wins, by the way, except for the home game against Cleveland, was uh, by double digits against some pretty bad teams. They haven't had the toughest schedule of late during this five-game win streak. Another reason why their offense has been completely unstoppable has been, uh, well, actually, no, you know, let's talk about their crunch time offense since since that's more related, I think, uh, to Harden. and, And then we can talk about Gordon.
2: Right, so we we spent some time both on the the Twitter show and the podcast we did after it talking about our concerns about Houston's crunch time defense, and we got some offense, offense. Oh, uh, sorry, offense. Yeah, my apologies. And got some probably Houston people complaining about that, and so I went back and actually did did some digging. And what's fascinating about that overall is that those people were were kind of focusing on, yeah, it's true, they have been in the top half other than this year, and that's notoriously small sample size. That they have been in the top half in, in crunch time offense each. Season. Season. What makes it different, though, is that in the early in those early years when Harden was on the Rockets, oftentimes that was better than what they were doing with some of those McHale teams. But then recently, they, their crunch time offense has been similar, you know, in areas. So last year, they were 14th, 108.7 in crunch time, but they had the number two offense in the rest of the game. And so that's, I think, what you and I have been noticing. And like a lot of teams, not surprisingly, their assist rate drops pretty precipitously in those times. And that confirms something, or it doesn't confirm, but it is another buttressing point to something that we've noticed which is just that their offense doesn't look the same in crunch time as it looks otherwise
1: yeah and remember that crunch time offense usually is less efficient right for a lot of teams in part because perhaps they don't move the ball as much as we could say about Houston in part perhaps because whoever is ahead is trying to run the time down and just not getting as efficient of a shot as you would if you were going earlier but these these rankings are still relative to everyone else in the league in clutch time and so there is certainly a drop off there perhaps due to the sample but it's been a relatively consistent trend now over these last three seasons for Houston and that just matches what you see subjectively it's just hardened dribbles are on maybe they get the switch if they're lucky and you know he probably takes some kind of a step back um so it's gonna be something to watch and probably not even until the playoffs will it manifest let's talk about Eric Gordon who really really happy for him because this is the he was able to resurrect his career in New Orleans as a 40 percent three-point shooter and then six man last year but this is the first season and maybe this won't keep up but the first season I've looked at him and been like hey you know what the player that he is now that's actually a somewhat logical progression of where we thought he could be early in his career before all those knee injuries struck.
2: And the reason for that is that he's running a lot more pick and roll. Last you know, last year he was running, it was about 19% of his possessions. Now that's 24%. That 5% is, is a pretty significant change. And that has a corresponding shift in his spot ups. He went from being about a little less than a third of his possessions being spot up to 23%. That's significant. And so those two things run together. And Gordon has done well in those circumstances. And he's been a productive overall offense player. He's not perfect, but he's done a really nice job.
1: Yeah. And part of the reason he's running more pick and roll is because Last year when Harden was out of the game, Pat Beverly was the guy who was doing a lot of that. Now with Paul injured, Harden out of the game, he's really the the guy that they have to give it to. They don't really have anyone else who can do anything off the drill. And we talked about how they had to play all these guys like 40 minutes in that Cleveland game because they're not going to go back to like Bobby Braun to be the, the primary impetus of the offense. But it's not only the fact that he's been asked to do it more, it's that he's been more physically capable. And he had some really rough seasons During the time that he was in New Orleans, finishing around the room, he was shot 46% one year, he was in the mid-50s last year in new orleans 52 percent. last year 57 percent. he's at 70 percent this year and yeah okay it's only been a month but the burst that he's shown damy I mean, we saw it in person against the, the rockets on or against the warriors on opening night he had six dunks all last year he already has five this year including like a couple of pretty big ones just on guys for and ones he's been going through guys with that big body and the explosiveness that he seems to have regained i'm really glad for him because you see so often and guys just are never the same and and maybe it's just getting out of that New Orleans torture chamber and getting to Houston with the maybe a better medical staff that he's been able to regain it whatever the reason it's very obvious.
2: Also, he will benefit significantly if CP and Harden can eventually both be on the floor and be healthy from getting a little reduction in his minutes. You know, he's been in the mid 30s out of necessity, even in the high 30s for portions of this run. Getting I think a 28-minute Eric Gordon, that's still a lot for a for a nominal six man. You can play him with those two guys as well. I think he'll show even more just intensity in that. And now we know that he can he can shoulder the burden if he has to.
1: Yeah, and just to wrap up on him, his per thirty six numbers are are like star level of numbers: twenty four point eight points per thirty six minutes, three point two assists, twenty eight percent usage, and fifty nine percent true shooting. You know, that's like very good efficiency and like star level of usage for him. Let's get to Golden State: ten and three, six and zero since the last fifteen and sixty. When they were a middling five and four, they have the number one net rating in the NBA at plus 13.4. The first ranked offense by over four points per 100 possessions and now all the way up to the seventh-ranked defense after ranking in the 20s the last time we checked in on them.
2: Something else that has been uh, an eventually significant part of what they've done so far is that they have both been judicious about resting guys who are not 100%, like Kevin Durant, you know, with that thigh contusion, he didn't play against Minnesota at home. Steph Curry is, I think he's listed at doubtful for Monday's game against Orlando. I do not expect him to play. But beyond that, they've also they just straight up sat andre guadala against the sixers depriving him of a revenge game and sat david west earlier in this homestand not because they were on it back to back or because of anything else they just went yeah we'll just rest those guys and the warriors are able to do that because they're very deep and because they're just ludicrously talented
1: yeah we i don't think we need to talk that much more about what they've been doing i mean this has just been a, a ridiculous win streak for them i think all of these games have been they won by well into double digits but I do want to talk about their game against Philly just because we can't it might not even be that much Warriors related but we were both there as a team we really wanted to see them play against the way they matched up with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid so what were your thoughts just on that game and the matchup with the Sixers I mean the Sixers are being talked about as a team that can eventually compete for championships and this is I think is the first time we've seen them going against a team of Golden State's California
2: Well, I'll start with... I watched the pregame warmups for the for the main guys in their team the entire time. I got there and I parked myself courtside and just watched Joel Embiid shoot, watched Ben Simmons shoot free throws, debating whether he should be shooting them right-handed, but that's a separate question. Embiid did something in the warmups that I've never seen a player do. I've covered the league since 09. He shot a series of plays where he was hopping on one foot for like three or four hops and then just shooting a mid-range shot. And I have no idea if there was trying to get his knee balance or whatever, but he's just doing stuff like that. But his stroke is good. And in the first half, you saw a lot of the good Sixers parts. You saw, you know, the fact that they, you know, they had some nice offensive, they had some some nice offensive sets. But I thought the Warriors did a decent job defending them then. And then once the Warriors stopped throwing the ball around the gym, they just took complete control of the game. How
1: did Simmons' shot look uh, to you pregame?
2: He didn't do much. All he did was shoot free throws, but there's there didn't seem to be much consistency with it, you know, in terms of... With a free throw in particular, because it's it's not a jump shot, you expected, you know, the elbow and the positioning and all that, and it didn't there didn't seem to be that much consistency, and you saw that. I mean, he had a couple of really bad misses in that game, but he didn't take any jumpers, so I don't want to read too much into it.
1: Yeah, and he actually airballed a free throw, like, way right. Too, it was which, bad. which was pretty ugly. He started off the game as the... Warriors made things difficult for him getting all the way to the rim as he's been able to do so far they were laying back enough that he missed his first five shots all of which were non-layups within 15 feet jumpers he loves to go to a righty floater coming across the the lane as well and he ended up shooting very poorly I think it was six out of 17 he only took those two free throw attempts they like to run and this is actually something I've been thinking about more because more teams have been running this lately is a snug pick and roll with Simmons handling and getting it to Embiid and that was actually very effective in it. and Simmons can just get the ball to Embiid in, in tight windows so it works well and I think really the way you, you need to defend that snug pick and roll is the big who is guarding the guy sitting the screen has to really step up hard enough so that the dribbler can't get into the lane at all he's got to basically keep him as far towards the sideline as possible because that takes away the passing angle right you basically just you step up as soon as he tries to go off the screen you just stand there and you don't really have to worry about the person going around you that much because there just there isn't the angle you're not out in space you've got more of an advantage staying between your guy and the rim the closer you are to the basket and to just kind of cut him off and then prevent him from actually rolling to the rim. And so the Warriors didn't do that at all. They sort of had David West a lot of times just lay back, and that let Simmons get the passing angle to Embiid a couple of times. My thought on Embiid was the Warriors really forced him into some difficulties when he was trying to post up because he they double teamed him extremely well. That's what the Warriors are great at, of course. And he's just not a good enough passer. He'll bring the ball down and get stripped. He's really been a turnover machine in his career. And One of my big takeaways was that he just has a long way to go in in terms of being like a quality post up option that you can run the offense through against actual good defenses
2: yeah I agree with that and it also wasn't his greatest defensive game some of that is due to the personnel that he was going against and the way that the Warriors can shoot especially in that third quarter when they just started hitting everything another quick Sixers thing I I like that we're kind of turned the Warriors section of the Sixers is I was concerned that Rashawn Holmes's defense just wasn't as solid as I thought and kind of one of the ideas behind this team was yeah Julia Okafor you know he has his flaws I don't know how long he's going to be on this team but that they have a backup center that they can trust and this wasn't Holmes's best game I'm not sure it was a representative sample but there is something that you want from a backup center especially when you consider some of the on-offs in terms of Embiid's defense and maybe what they should be thinking about is just having another option there to see for when they need it
1: yeah so uh, last question would you agree that Steph Curry is peaking right now
2: peaking peaking no (laughs) I can't do Draymond's I can't channel him but no he's not
1: sorry Dieter uh all right let's get to the Denver Nuggets, now 8-5 and five on a nice win streak, mostly at home, 5-2 and two since we last checked in on them. 3.2 net rating. Boy, I bet you feel dumb for insisting that they be included in our time-to-panic analysis.
2: Well, when our Time to Panic analysis was originally drafted before we before we did it, <laughs> they were like I, I think at that point they were like, I don't know, what was it, two and two and four or something like that? They were they were they were struggling and Yeah. And one of the big elements that has improved for them beyond just overall offensive flow is that Jamal Murray went from having all rough games to having some rough games and some good games. And so he was shaky in the in the one we covered against O K C but then was spectacular on saturday 32 points 12 of 21 from the field six and nine from three and just getting to that sort of a split has helped him become a pretty not not a spectacularly efficient player but a lot better than he was at least early in the year
1: yeah he at least is now slightly better statistically than he was a season ago his defense looks less miserable than it did i mentioned in the, the okc game he played some of the best stretch of defense that i'd seen him play early in the third quarter his finishing around the rim which is not something i thought would be a big strength for him coming out of school he actually has a great knack for finishing and really just what needs to happen is he's got to make more shots right you know he's starting to get streaky you mentioned the six and nine from three On Saturday night and he's at least up to 32% now I mean you remember he was shooting like 14% a little bit ago so I'm not sure why it is that he's so streaky part of it too is just if he doesn't have it going there's a lot of other competition they can go with essentially Will Barton at point guard Moutier is having a nice season as well we actually saw Moutier and Murray finally play together because Murray had it going on Saturday and with Barton perhaps due to depart after this season that three-guard lineup of Moody, Murray, and Harris might be what we'll see more of at that point. We've also seen actually some run from Malik Beasley, and he's shot it okay except for on threes when he's only 417 and that's has uh, been a big issue and keeping his numbers down the, the issue with him remains that if you see him especially on an nba court instead of a summer league court he really just looks like point guard sized out there and the hope was that maybe he could be closer to a stopper on the wings and he does play hard but he just doesn't have the size that is really going to be required to have the defensive versatility that this Nuggets team uh, continues to desperately need on the wing, even with the inclusion of Paul Millsap.
2: Are you saying that Wilson Chandler has been insufficient this year?
1: yeah he is really uh, struggling 13 percent usage which is extremely low a lot lower than last year and that's even with Gallo gone now I know they have more mouths to feed than ever in the backcourt Jokic Millsap you know he's probably uh, between he and Harris It's a toss-up of who's going to be the lowest in the pecking order but you'd hope he could be more efficient uh, there he really has not been able to to do that and the Nuggets probably better hope he turns it around just so he opts out at this point uh, because he's due 12 or 13 million next year and if he doesn't opt out then they really could be up against it with the tax because they have to give Nikola Jokic in all likelihood a new max contract Jokic after struggling early by the way up to like a 26 PR he's been uh absolutely fantastic had that 41 point game against Brooklyn did, earlier in the did week did
2: you see the touch pass he threw I think that was yesterday no I didn't see so he so I think it was he got the ball so it was from from the right above the break and somebody basically threw threw it into him in the post and he never grabbed the ball he did a uh, basically batted the ball on a touch pass to the opposing corner for an open three i i've never seen a guy do that it was unbelievable and it was you if we had been doing that game we would have gone crazy like we did for the one-handed catch and throw that he did against oklahoma city i i love watching Jokic. like if you are somebody who is who wants to watch just like fun basketball and things that you've never seen before just watch Jokic as much as you can he's so much fun
1: meanwhile richard jefferson whom they released jameer nelson to sign has barely played kind of one of those things that makes you think like all right i'm just getting this guy out of here so Mike Malone is forced to play these young guys and after a rough start it looks like that was the correct decision. I don't think they've missed Nelson really at all because a lot of times this isn't the case but Murray playing better, A, they still got Barton as well. Like they've got enough guys that they've been able to withstand the loss of Nelson. Even though it is a little surprising to me uh that no one was willing to just trade for him.
2: Yeah, that that is a little bit surprising. And I want to see more kind of from their defense. I thought they had a nice game against Oklahoma City. And we've talked about their offensive struggles, but the idea of this team being a good offense and then being just a lot better defensively, even if they're not top 10 or anything crazy like that, that vision, it's not here, but I think it's certainly possible.
1: Yeah, and if they could be 14th in defense all year, and I think the offense is going to continue to ascend, they should be right on pace to be the team that we thought they would be. And they are in fact predicted to win 47 games right now by 538 all right the 2 and 12 dallas mavericks posting an identical one in six record in these two weeks since the last time we checked in on them negative 8.6 net rating good or bad shall we say for 26th in the nba they have the 25th ranked offense and the 26th ranked defense
2: So I wrote a phrase at the top of this one. I don't know. Basically, it's know what you have so you know what you need. And while Dallas should be a lot better later in this year than they have been to start, they've really, really missed Seth Curry. The point of this season, now that it looks like the playoffs are unlikely, just because they would have to be so ridiculously good the rest of the way in order to make it, is assessment. So what do they have in Dennis Smith? What do they have in Harrison Barnes? Because they are, you know, this is a team that's going to wield cap space. They're probably going to have a very good... Good draft pick and some of that is about supply who's available to you who's taking your money who's available in the draft but in, in a data point in that that has been fascinating is what's happening with Nerlens Noel Rick
1: Carlisle's quote after Nerlens had a DNP CD against the Cavs and before he played only 2 minutes in garbage time at Oklahoma City today He said, look, minutes have to be earned. At this point, it's between him and Salah, Salah Mejri. Salah has earned the minutes. There's no doghouse here. There just isn't. It's pretty simple. You compete. And if you earn minutes, you get minutes. And you've got to compete to keep them because it's a competitive situation. And Mejri has played well. We talked about uh, earlier this week how well he played in that game at Washington i'm not sure whether this is a motivational tactic or whether measuring is just playing better but you did mention i think they do have to start giving him some minutes here pretty shortly whether he quote unquote learns his lesson or not just to figure out whether he's any good but certainly turning down 70 million dollars to start getting dmp cds within the first three weeks of the season not ideal for new
2: it's not and there will be centers on the market if that he doesn't have leverage on dallas because they're gonna have cap space and there will be other centers so and they're there are a lot of centers in this draft too so they depending on how they want to handle that but the most important evaluation piece for them is dennis smith
1: it is what lebron james thinks of their draft pick as opposed to the Knicks draft pick yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> poor frank i mean frank is frank has looked good but i i do understand what lebron was getting at even though knicks fans have been giving us crap for like two weeks on on twitter about saying that dennis smith is better and guess what dennis smith is better that doesn't mean frank nilquino is a bad player he's done a very nice job dennis smith just has a crazy high ceiling
1: yeah he does and his efficiency hasn't been great he still under 50 percent true shooting coming into tonight but 29 percent usage he's getting shots up assist rate has been pretty solid and what's really killing him is just his shooting from three he's taking a lot of bad jumpers he's 15 of 51 29 percent from downtown shooting a better percentage on twos 47 percent. struggling from the free throw line but what's most encouraging about him is just how often he's been able to get to the rim where he shoots 62 percent and he's taking 37% of his shots at the room, which is a, a solid number, really the only guy on this team who can get to the basket, and he's still learning what kind of shots he can get away with in the league, like against the Cavs, he had a couple of drives late where he was just kind of wide open, and he double-pumped and just missed it, uh, but he also had some really impressive drives against them, and the flashes are good enough, the Ability to create is good enough. The jump shot, while it's not going in, he's taking some tough shots, on a, admittedly on a team that doesn't have a ton of threats right now, I still feel very solidly about where he's at. And he's managed to stay healthy, at least through this first part of the season. He had a little bit of knee swelling, but uh, hopefully nothing serious. Uh, what else can we say about this team?
2: Dennis Smith is still either the number one or number two scariest follower in the league. It's between him and Joel Embiid. I mean those two guys it's with Smith it's more frequency with Joel Embiid it's intensity and all that kind of stuff well
1: uh, D D Rose is still up there too Uh, it's just it's just we know he's not that good anymore now so like the stakes aren't that high when he falls
2: but so I I think the the other big thing for Dallas and this is again in terms of evaluating what you have is that they're getting absolutely annihilated at the rim eighth most attempts and opponents are shooting 68.9% there and yeah that's
1: yeah when you start Dirk at center and, and you also play Dwight Powell a lot at center that's, that's
2: right and so it's going to be hard to evaluate some of their players defensively, though at the point guard position, a lot of what you're looking at is mitigating penetration and things like that, and you can still look at that without those kind of numbers. But they have been getting some positives from Harrison Barnes. He was struggled a little bit to start the year, but he showed more confidence, in that, particularly in that Wizards game. He had those quotes about how they wanted to make me an ISO scorer, and I, I can do that. And in that game, he did. And Barnes is going to be a part of this team's, at least the immediate, but probably the, the at least moderate to long-term. And I don't know exactly what his role is, but his capability is at least higher than I thought it was.
1: Yeah, that's true. He's getting to the foul line a little bit more. He he had a miserable start to the season that he's still recovering from uh, statistically, but... I mean, really, between, if you look at some of these net ratings, their starters have just <laughs> absolutely struggled. You know, Barnes, negative 15.7 net rating. Dirk, negative 15.8. Dirk, just, he really is, like, rushing everything now. And he's shooting well from three. He's shooting 45% from three. But his two-pointers, especially... He looks like he's really just like desperately trying to get it off because you know he can't move it all right like he doesn't he doesn't have the option of like pump faking the guy and driving to the basket anymore he certainly isn't going to post up or do anything at the room either he's taking 90 percent of his shots from outside of 10 feet so any pick and roll situation with him you can basically just switch it and then he's not going to beat the switch anymore you got to rely on the guard and really smith probably the only guy who can do that at this point in terms of attacking in a pick and roll situation against the switch which he's he's done pretty well against some of the slower guys like kevin lovey was certainly able to blow by quite a few times um And then Nerlens Noel, you want to know why he's not playing, and Salah Mezri is Salah three point seven net rating, Nerlens Noel negative nineteen point one net rating
2: and some of that is you know about who you're playing with and who you're playing against but it but it is it is concerning with noel and you know he's playing for a contract and there you know i think we talked about this a little bit about just what his expectations are it's still a long time left in this season but it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding
1: all right that'll do it for today don't forget about our sponsors today indochino use that cap space code in store or online at indochino.com and that will get you their amazing black friday rate only 329 dollars for a custom made-to-measure suit and ZipRecruiter recruiter ziprecruiter.com slash capspace will let you post jobs for free and don't forget the capspace code the capspace url that lets them know that you came from us and i think that will do it also don't forget about our patreon we came out with a patreon mailbag last week patreon.com slash dunk the roof you want to support the twitter nba show get access to our salary sheets that we tweet out mailbags subscriber only periscopes and we're going to do a few of those we may do some of our twitter nba shows where we enable comments only for patreon subscribers as well so we're going to get a little more creative with that now that we're kind of settled in to the season here so thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you all next time